Welcome to our CyberWise Chats, where we talk about the challenges of raising and teaching digital kids. I'm Diana Graber, author of Raising Humans in a Digital World and founder of CyberWise and CyberCivics. Join every episode with Dr. Pamela Rutledge, who's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center. Our always lively conversations tackle topics like cyberbullying, screen time, TikTok, and everything in between. We've got some great guests and promise each chat will give you the tips, tricks, and confidence you need to help kids use technology safely and wisely. Uh, welcome everyone to our CyberWise chat today. We're gonna talk about what the heck is the metaverse and should you let your children go there? Um, I'm Diana Graber. I'm author of Raising Humans in a Digital World and founder of CyberWise and CyberCivics. Here, as always, with Dr. Pamela Rutledge, who's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center. And we're really excited to um, welcome our special <laughs> guest, Sean Herman. Um, if you don't know about Sean, he is the founder of Kinzu, which he's going to tell you about in a moment. And he's the author of a great book at the Amazon bestselling book, Screen Captured. Every day, Sean challenges the way we think about screen time and asks how differently we would feel if we could give our children only the best of what technology has to offer. I really love that. I, I love reading that. So before we get started, Sean, can you just take a moment and tell us what Kinzu is? Yeah, uh, definitely. And thanks very much for having me. Um, so yeah, I think uh, Kinzu, the uh, summary you gave is, is really what we're trying to do. Um, I founded Kinzu in 2018 and basically just recognized uh, I wanted technology to be a more positive force in my own household. So I had a seven-year-old girl um, mucking about with technology and, and I was asking myself constantly, like, why do I feel this anxiety when she's on the screen? Uh, so I kind of set out to solve that problem. And, and really what we're trying to do is, is build products that uh, kids will love, but parents can trust. Uh, we have a messenger called Kinzu Messenger out on the market. We've got a video calling app called Together. And then we have a third app that's going to be launching uh, sometime in Q1 or Q2 of this year. Awesome. Well, I know you're very busy. So thank you for giving us this half hour of your time. Um, okay, so we are going to talk about metaverse, as I mentioned. It's a term you've, we've probably heard a lot lately, especially since Facebook kind of co-opted the name meta um, in a nod to what's happening out there that we're going to talk about. Um, but the most important thing is we're going to talk about what the metaverse might mean for children. And one thing that the three of us discovered during our pre-chat chat is that everyone sort of has a different idea of what the metaverse might look like. Um, so we're each going to take a moment today at the top to describe what we think the metaverse is. So I'll jump in super quickly. Um, first of all, it's not a Facebook thing. I think that's important to say. Um, when I think of the metaverse, my mind goes to Ready Player One, the movie or the book, and also the movie Avatar being in this immersive virtual world where people live, workshop, interact, possibly through avatars. We'll talk about that. Um, but I think the idea is um, you're gonna feel like you're inside the action in real time. So that's my two second, three second uh, description. So Pam, what do you think the metaverse is going to well, I guess the first thing I want to say to parents is that Zuckerberg's announcement really raised the anxiety level of parents as if he was introducing something really new and scary. So it was a very successful branding campaign and changing Facebook to meta platforms, focusing on the creation of the metaverse. But as Diana says, the metaverse is really a description of, of an experience, not a product. And Facebook doesn't own it, no matter what you may think. Um, but it brings back some really bad stereotypical 
images when you're worried about your kids using technology. But I, I would say, Diana, that I actually agree with you that the simple explanation is that the metaverse describes shared virtual worlds that combine aspects of what we already know from digital experience, social media, gaming, avatars, and the like, with a sort of broader, more fluid environment that will have functioning economies. And whether it's augmented reality or virtual reality, it's an immersive experience that moves across different aspects of our lives. Right. And, and Sean, do you have kind of a different idea that I know you're not entirely as pumped about it as I thought you would be before we spoke. What do you think about this metaverse? Uh, yeah, it, totally. I think that um, it's real. I, I don't believe the metaverse is going to be uh, Mark Zuckerberg's vision of it, or at least how it's been presented uh, thus far. Um, yeah, I mean, the way I think about the metaverse is, you know, for the past 15 years since the iPhone came out, we've been um, interacting with the online world basically through a phone screen. And I think what the metaverse is really going to be is um, new ways of interacting between hardware and software. So I think we are going to see I'm more bullish on augmented reality than I am virtual reality with the headsets and, and things like that. But yes, I think it's going to be elements of everything you've described. I don't think it's going to be exactly what Mark Zuckerberg has um, presented. Um, and even though it's it's talked about like it's a place or a destination, I don't think it exists today. I think there's elements of it everywhere, but it's still uh, very early stages. Yeah. And um, before we move forward, because I know I get asked this a lot, um, the difference between augmented reality and virtual reality. Sean, you want to grab that question? Sure. Um, so augmented reality is um, marrying kind of the real world with um, with hardware. So that's going to be looking at things through your phone. Pokemon Go is probably the, the most well-known example of that, uh, where you have these Pokemon characters kind of interacting in the real world. Um, it's basically overlaying technology and, and all the big companies have patents on producing glasses that are going to do uh, the same thing. VR requires the big headset. That's usually what we think about um, when we're pondering this is people putting on the headsets, entering a virtual world um, and that sort of thing. So that would be the, the primary difference between the two is, is a big piece of hardware um, with VR where AR is going to be a little more fluid and, and uh, um, just kind of build off things we use every day. And it's interesting with VR, Facebook has made a big investment in that with the Oculus headset. They're putting pouring a lot of money into that. So I think they really think these headsets are going to take off. I question that. I know, Pam, we've talked a little bit about that. What do you think about kids in these headsets? Well, uh, you know, you know, first of all, I think, you know, people are worried because any kind of immersive experience is very effective and persuasive. So people worry about the level of manipulation and persuasion and, you know, and in virtual reality, that can be very high. And, and one of the reasons is that this virtual immersion has a profound impact on how we process and internalize information. So it can uh, shift the way we rely on different sensory input. So it affects balance. And while adults may be able to handle that, kids can should kids may not be able to. The research is not complete. There is not much of it. But what we do know is that kids react, their brains react to VR much differently than adults. So these growing brains, you need to be very cautious. And even though the face or the meta uh, headset Oculus, even though they say not for 13 and under, that enforcement has to happen in the home. It isn't going to happen in your Amazon shopping cart. So you really have to be aware of 
these liabilities. Now, to be fair, I want to just say VR has been a very powerful tool clinically using with PTSD and phobias and training and changing uh, attitudes about things like climate change and racism. So it isn't like VR itself is bad. VR is a tool. Tools are neither good or bad. It's how they're used that matters. And that's what we're worried about here with kids is how these environments are built and how these tools are used. And we do have a question here. How would you define platforms like Second Life? AR, VR, other? How would you define Second Life? And for those of you who don't know Second Life, it's been around for a while. It never really took off. But Sean, would you describe that as AR or VR? I have to be honest and say I don't know enough about it. Yeah. See, that shows you. I, never a, I know about it, it because when I was in my master's program with Pam, being my instructor, uh, one of the other teachers was always trying to encourage us to use Second Life to do the lessons or, or whatever. And none of us liked it. It was very odd. <laughs> so it was odd. It's, but it's not AR. Reality. Correct. But it's not AR because AR is where you're overlaying uh, digital items on your reality. Uh, and if you haven't played Pokemon Go, have, do you have a heads up display in your car? Do you watch football? Have you seen the yellow downlines? Those are all augmented reality where someone has added something to what your visual reality is. Second Life is a form of VR in the sense that it creates a virtual world. You, it isn't immersive in the way that on a headset would make it where you feel like you're actually in the world, but it psychologically can become that way if you project and you, your imagination is engaged so that it, it starts to feel real. Yeah, and I think the key there is that it's an immersive environment that you interact through an avatar. And that's, right. that's really different from VR because especially a lot of these games that kids play, they're not wearing headsets a lot of times, but they're interacting through an avatar that represents them, which is playful and fun. But I think that's where we need to educate parents because I know from teaching cyber civics, a lot of times when kids interact in something that's like an avatar, they think it's not them. And so they're able to do and say things they would never do in real life. And that's where we need to educate our children that behind every avatar is a real person with real feelings. and Their feelings can be hurt and they, you know, and so, that I think is the disconnect here. When kids start using their virtual selves, maybe that accountability piece goes away. Would you guys well, you know, and, and Diana, there's research that suggests that there isn't that discrete boundary. And so while it may encourage kinds of behaviors that they wouldn't do offline because they haven't taken cyber civics, um, it actually, they it, it sort of becomes a normalization. So it becomes a little bit of their identities because there's been research done where they have people be superheroes and help people out. And that, in fact, improved their self-esteem so that there is a, a bleed over of using an avatar and the choices that you make in an avatar about how you think about yourself and how you behave. Right. Um, so do you guys think, are we there? Are we getting there? Like, where are we on the spectrum of attaining what people call the metaverse. Sean, what do you think? Are we there? Are we getting there? We're close? Um, no, I don't think we're particularly close. I, I think it, um, it's very early. I, I think there's elements of it, but the simple fact that um, at large, we can't even um, get to a, a definition of, of what the metaverse is kind of says it's, it's early. Um, I, I think there are elements between things like Roblox, we've had Pokemon Go, there's a lot of avatar-based experiences, there's full-on VR. Um, somewhere you know, in there, I think there's gonna be elements of it. Um, 
there was a tech evangelist, um, his name is Sean Curie, and, and he defined the metaverse in a way I really liked. Um, he doesn't define it as an actual thing. He defines it as a moment in time when our online personas become more important than our offline personas. And it's a really cool way of thinking of it. And I think that that is kind of bleeds into some of the things that you were talking about early in as it relates to children and making sure um, their avatar online persona doesn't become more important than, you know, real life. And that's, um, that's an interesting thing. So all in all, I think we are very early. I think um, yeah. there's elements out there. Um, I don't know that the metaverse is a destination that, you know, it's going to be built and then it's there. Um, I, I think we're a long way off. I have a, a message in the chat box um, from John Walber offering to give us a tour someday. And I wonder what you're giving tours of. <laughs> Is it Second Life? Um, but if you could put that in the chat box, that would be awesome because I would be interested. Um, all right. So let's kind of pivot here a little bit and talk about what this all means to kids. Uh, what I think is really interesting is kids kind of have their dabbling versions of the metaverse. Roblox is always offered up as a really great example. And I'm surprised because I work with so many parents, how many parents have kids on Roblox who have never looked at it themselves. And that's where I would start is if your kids are playing any of these quasi immersive environment games like Roblox, Minecraft, Fortnite, look at them and ask what they're doing. It's pretty interesting. And I think for these kids, a lot of them feel like they're part of the action. They can contribute to the creativity um, and they're interacting with their friends. That's the number one thing. And I think what's happened during the pandemic with the lack of the social interaction is they're really turning to these immersive environments to make friends and to do fun things and to do things that they can't do in the real world right now. So yeah, a perfect example of that, Diana, is what Fortnite did with their Rift uh, tour with a uh, concert by Ariana Grande where it was entirely avatars, but you could attend, they had 27 million people attending, but those are people that it couldn't go out. So it was a way of attending a conference in, or a, a concert, but it also gave people who would never be able to attend an Ariana Grande concert, a chance to be part of that crowd and participate. So, you know, I mean, I, I worry a little bit about that definition, Sean, because it's so pejorative. You know, it's someplace where our online becomes more important than our offline. And I don't think that's necessarily a given. I think that it is, you know, whether the online becomes more fluid or we become more authentic across both, I don't know. But I think that, that just assuming that that's going to be more important uh, sort of negates the fundamental psychology of humans, which is that we are social beings and we will connect in the best way possible. During the pandemic, the best way possible is virtual. When the pandemic is, you know, behind us, at least functionally, people will choose to be physically together again. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that loss of, uh, uh, fantasy to reality line that that sort of implies. But I do think it's important, as you were suggesting, to educate people to know so they know what to watch for, so that they know when they're maybe over-invested in an avatar or over-invested in, in screen time. Um, and I, and I want to kind of go back to, Sean, to the Roblox or Minecraft. I know you know about those games because you have young ones. Yes. And you work with a lot of families that have young ones. Can you describe what it is about it that is kind of the stepping stone to this metaverse that we keep hearing about? Um, yeah, I, I think um, 
what draws at least my daughter into um, Minecraft, Roblox is fundamentally uh, connecting with friends. I think that um, I'll hone in on Roblox, for example. I think Roblox has a lot to offer and I've always tried to lean in on it um, with my with my daughter. It, like most technology, it's got a wide range of outcomes and I think it really depends on, you have to prepare them, you have to stay active, you have to lean into it uh, with your kids. Um, but basically the way my daughter uses um, Roblox is hang out with friends. Um, it is in a virtual world. It's through avatars. They're completing levels together, which involves some problem solving. But a lot of the time they're just kind of hanging out and, and chatting. Um, but over the years, you know, you can connect with strangers. You can do all these different things. And, and that kind of relies on me as a parent. But I think similar to the metaverse is um, if your child is showing interest and wants to learn more about it. It's a great thing to lean in with them, have your child educate you as much as um, they can. I think our children are a very untapped resource when it comes to, you know, learning about tech. Um, and, and yeah, so I think that, you know, Roblox is interactive worlds. Um, children are exploring, there's avatars, there's meeting up with friends, there's now getting into Fortnite and virtual concerts. I think a lot of the elements are, already there of, of what the you know best of the metaverse is kind of described. Right. And one thing I will say about these games, and I hear this all the time from the students I teach because they, they're like, I put this one thing off, it got blocked and I can't do this and I can't do that. Like, I feel like they're very aggressive isn't the right word, but I think they're very diligent of, of, as, as far as moderation goes, which I really tip my hat off to them because I, I hope that that will be the model that other companies will follow. Um, so if you're not familiar with that, I know specifically I was reading about Roblox, 4,000 human moderators, awesome. In addition to algorithms that scan and review content, they filter content by age. Even despite all of that oversight, um, I caught this online. Uh, Craig Donato, chief business officer at Roblox said, one of the challenges of developing a metaverse is creating rules in order to prevent it from being the wild west. Moderation is a challenge for any internet community and Roblox is not immune. The problem can be accentuated on the platform when players have been subjected to graphic violence or sex in experiences since it is heavily marketed to children. So even in an environment that does such a great job of moderating and watching for content, stuff will slip through. And that's what I talk to families about all the time. Do it with your kids, see what they're seeing. For the very youngest of children, they're not ready for this stuff. So do you think other companies... I just wanted to add to that, that there's another behavior or another thing that's happening on even Roblox, who I th agree with you, I think is, does as good a job as is humanly possible because it's an impossible task, but there is a commercial exchange. And so there's a lot of, I hear with my 11 year old, first of all, she FaceTimes with friends while she plays Roblox on computers. So it's definitely social, but there's a lot of negotiating. I'm going to sell you my rare unicorn for X amount of Roblox. And, you know, she saves her allowance so she can buy bits of things in Roblox. And so essentially what it's showing is that these kids are going to grow up. Maybe they won't have any trouble understanding Bitcoin and blockchain like I do, but they are understanding what we would consider real money for virtual goods. And that can be very um, exciting. It can be very uh, compelling when a kid starts to think that they aren't going to have a good time on the game if they don't have more Robux. Um, so I think parents need to be aware of that commercial side. It isn't just bucks you earn in the game. You can translate 
you know, art, real dollars. I hate to, you know, I'm not sure that virtual isn't real, but, but you can translate, you know, currency of the realm uh, into uh, Robux uh, and, and kids and kids do, and they buy all kinds of things. It's a huge, a huge economic thing, which is why Robux has actually, or Roblox has gotten investors for this next level of engagement. Yeah. And you know what, this is such an important topic. I'm glad that you took us there, Pam, to monetization. Because what I see and hear a lot with kids that are, are not developmentally prepared to be on these sites is sometimes they'll buy things for, to try to curry favor with certain friends, curry favor with certain friends, and they're giving away things that they really shouldn't be giving away because they just don't understand that whole monetary thing, and it's it's a way for them to have sort of value in the game. Um, so I think that really underscores why we've got to wait for kids to be a certain age to start playing this, interacting with others, especially when there's monetization involved. I know we talked a little bit about that before, Sean. Do you, what's your feeling, this whole monetization side of this, what's coming? 